Okay, Rabbi Sagun, Erev Shabbos. Um, I hope all are feeling well and strong and had a good week of learning and had a good week of life. So we're going to speak today about the parasha, of course. Uh, this week's parasha is actually a double parasha of Achrei Mais and Kedoshim together. And Achrei Mais and Kedoshim really are speaking about Inyanim of Kedusha, we're addressing Kaihanim, we're addressing very elevated people, and Klal Yisrael themselves is a Mamlachas Kaihanim. We're a priestly nation, we are Chashiva Yidin, and we are expected to act in a way that befits people of royalty. And that means we're supposed to make, as we see in next week's parsha, Parsha's Emar, we're supposed to make a Kiddush Hashem and never Chas Vishal make a Chil Hashem. The Pasuk in next week's parsha says, V'leisachalu Hashem Kachi, do not make a chil Hashem, don't be mechalo, don't profane my holy name, v'nikdashti b'seich b'nei Yisrael, and let me be sanctified amongst Klal Yisrael, ani Hashem mekadishchem, after all, I am Hashem who makes you holy, so it behooves you to strive for holiness and to always sanctify my name in public. Never try to uh, cut corners, never try to do shtick, never try to do things that are potentially um, a bad reflection on a yid and on Klal Yisrael and the Rabbeinu Shalom. We have to try to always be Kedoshim, as we learn in this week's parasha. Kedoshim to you, ki Kedosh Yashem. If you are my people... And I'm holy, so HaKadosh Baruch says, you're expected to be holy as well. And we know that this mitzvah, V'nikdashti B'Seich Bnei Yisrael, has a lot of different components to it. A lot of times there's a mitzvah, and the mitzvah you think you know what it means, but really there are many layers to the mitzvah. So, of course, the major component of the mitzvah, B'nikdashti B'seif B'nei Yisrael, is generally speaking, and it's one of the most, most famous sugyas in Shas, it's the first, Reb Chaim and his Sefer, and that's the mitzvah of giving up your life al Kiddush Hashem. That when situations call for it, and unfortunately over the last century, there have been millions of times that the situation has unfortunately called for it, but a Yid is expected to die al Kiddush Hashem. Yid is expected to die al Nikdashti Yisrael. That's the epicenter, that's the source for this din of Kiddush Hashem, that you're supposed to die al Kiddush Hashem. There's also, of course, another layer of this mitzvah, and that's that you're supposed to live al Kiddush Hashem. That as much as a person is obligated to, if a situation calls for it, a guy is going to kill you, you're supposed to die sanctifying Hashem's name. But there's also a mitzvah of living in a sanctified way. I want you to live al Kiddush Hashem. In fact, there's a fascinating uh, sefer. We actually have it in the base medish of the yeshiva. It's called the Magid Meisharim, and the Magid Meisharim was written by Rabbi Yosef Kare. Rabbi Yosef Kare was the Baal Shulchan Aruch, and uh, he was the base Yosef. He was the Avkas Reichel. He wrote a lot of major, major svarim. He also wrote a sefer called Magid Mesharim, and in this sefer he records the many conversations that he had with an angel who visited him 
and they spoke in learning and uh, fascinating, fascinating sefer of conversations that Rabbi Yosef Kara had with the Malach. He called the Malach a Magid. And so that's why he named the sefer Magid Mesharim, because these are the uh, these are all of the conversations uh, that he recorded that he had with this famous Malach. And in one of these recorded conversations, he says that earlier in his life, when the Magid came to him, the Magid promised Rabbi Yosef Karai that he would be killed al Kiddush Hashem. Now, if I, that was, somebody told that to me, I probably would not be too happy, probably get very nervous and take out a nice life insurance policy for my family. But uh, Rabbi Yosef Kara was overjoyed. After all, this is a great mitzvah in the Torah, to die al Kiddush Hashem. This is the mitzvah that Rabbi Akiva says that my whole life I was waiting, when will I be able to make this mitzvah of dying al Kiddush Hashem? So it's great tzaddikim actually relish that opportunity when it would be presented, Leolenu, to die al Kiddush Hashem. But in the end of his life, Rabbi Yisuf Kara lived a life, and he never died like Kiddush Hashem, he died a regular death, he died in his bed. And so the Maggid came to visit him on his last uh, moments on this earth, and he asked the Maggid, he says, um, I don't understand, you, you promised me that I will die like Kiddush Hashem, that never happened. So the Maggid tells him, you did something greater. You didn't die like Kiddush Hashem, you lived like Kiddush Hashem. You were able to live your beautiful, gorgeous, productive, holy life, sanctifying HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name every day. Whatever the Rabbi Yisav Kari did, the Mechaber did, was a Kiddush Hashem. So that's a greater layer of the mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to die once, but that's a one-time shot. That's a one-time deal. You, ki- you get killed on Kiddush Hashem. Tremendous, tremendous char for a person that dies on Kiddush Hashem. But that ain't the same as living your life day by day, as Kiddush Hashem. Every day being a holy yid, being a Kaddish, davening like a mensch, learning like a mensch, doing the right thing, acting respectfully, um, making, a, making a, you know, showing that you have derech showing that what you're learning in yeshiva, you're actually putting into Misa. All of these things are, are things, ways that we could really be mekayim this din of Kedoshim to you. We don't have to die al Kedoshim, we don't have to have the word after our name, the Kedosh, or before our name, the Kedosh, those are, that's reserved for people that get killed al Kedoshim. But we have an obligation, a mitzvah, that we should always have that silent word, Kedosh, before and after our name, because we're supposed to live every single moment of our life sanctifying al Kedosh Baruch Hu's great name. The reason why I'm choosing this to talk to you about today is because I saw an amazing uh, yisaid in one of the many obituaries that have been written about the Navaminska Rebbe, Zechitz Hadik Lavracha. Navaminska Rebbe was a, uh, a great tzaddik. He was a, uh, a Tamil Chacham that was a Gain. He was a tremendous, tremendously brilliant Talmud Chacham. He was Mechaber Svarim that supposedly I heard that Rebbe Yashiv used. People came to Rebbe Yashiv's house and they found a copy of the Adas Yaakov, which was his sefer on, on Rebbe Yashiv's table. And he was like, you know, really extolling the virtues of this sefer, the Lamdas and the, and the, the Havana that the Novminsk Rebbe had. 
Navminsky Rebbe was the Rosh Agudas Yisrael. He had that title, which is very rare to, for anyone to have. I don't know if anyone else ever did have it. I mean, Ramesha Sharer was the president of the Agudas Yisrael. I don't think anyone called him the Rosh Agudas Yisrael. But when Ramesha Sharer died and they needed uh, somebody to really become the, uh, the head of Agudas Yisrael, the face of Agudas Yisrael, the Rosh Amidabram, the person who would speak first, and the keynote address, and the main, um, the main philosophical address to, uh, to take all the Shailas to, and the, and the leader of the Mayatzis, the rabbinical governing body of Agad Yisrael, all eyes turned to the Novominsky Rebbe, and they appointed him, even though he was very busy, he had his own yeshiva, and he had, uh, he had his own shul, he was a Rebbe, he was on the Mayatzis before this, he was, uh, already uh, very, very taxed in terms of his time. He took this upon himself. And he was, I would say, you know, one of the top three, if you can say such a thing, top three G'dayli Yisrael in America for the past Dar. There was never a time that you would go to the CMHS and not hear a drusher from the Rebbe. There was never a time that you'd go to the Aguda convention or to the Aguda dinner that he was not the Rosh HaMadabim, the first to speak. And he was, not just for the Agoda, but he was on so many organizations of Klal Yisrael, whether it was, uh, a, you know, on every topic about the, the problems with technology that the Dar is facing, um, Yisayimim, Almanis, Russian Jewry, uh, you go, everything that you could think of, and then what we don't know, this was the Navman Skrebis, he was a tremendous, big, he was tremendously big tzaddik. The other night they had a Nazkara for him, uh, and they had a lot of speakers. They had, um, you know, four members of the Mayetzes Dele Atayr, of Shmuel Kamenetsky, and of Aaron Feldman, and, and a few others. And then they had his sons and his sons-in-law. And uh, a lot of people spoke. And then I got, a, I got an email from the Agoda that they told, they said in the email how many people were tuned in to watch this live stream. I, I would say, if somebody asked me how many people do you think signed in to hear about the Novim Shreba, I'd say... 3,000 people, maybe 4,000 people. That's already a big thing. I mean, we have how many, how many people? We have 37 people on the Zoom right now. Okay, so if I'd say 3,700 people were on, were for the Novman Scrabble, that would be, I think that would be, I, I don't know, you wouldn't be able to fit it all on the screen, but, uh, but it would still be a, it would be a very big covet offering. I got an email and it says that there were 60,000 people that were tuned in live to the live stream. That could be, it could be, I wasn't able to do it, I was giving Shirim that night, so I heard it afterwards. There's probably another, you know, many, many tens of thousands afterwards that listened. But the point is that if the Navminsky Rebbe would have died uh, during a regular time in Klai Yisrael's history, if we would all be in Yeshiva, uh, you know, during that period of time when the Navminsky Rebbe was Nifter, um, he had, actually was Nifter in Arab Pesach, so it wouldn't have been Yeshiva anyway, but you know what I'm saying. There would have been maybe 100,000 people that would physically come out to the Levaya. As Hashkacha would have it, there were barely a minion. I think there were like a dozen Kravim that came to, the, to, to his Levaya and to his Kura. But the Nambrinskarev was one of those great historical leaders of Klal Yisrael that I believe that in 50 years and 100 years, they will still be talking about the Nambrinskarev in terms of his, his being a Manig Yisrael much like we speak about Mayor Shapiro, Beshaita, and, uh, you know, all those, those types of G'day Yisrael, because he had a very special thing to him. He was 
very articulate. He was American-born, which is a tremendous chiddush also. It gives us chizuk that you can be born in America and still attain godless. Uh, he was eloquent. He always spoke uh, like uh, the Queen's English, beautiful English. You wouldn't expect, you know, you'd expect a, a man that looks like the Novominsky Rebbe, like with a long white beard and a kapata, you'd expect him to, to look like, um, to speak like, a, like you'd expect a Hasidish Rebbe to speak. But he spoke like a beautiful English. I don't think it was Shaykh to have a better English, a command of the English language than he did. And he was a pikeach, and he was a, uh, and he was a tremendous person. He synthesized a lot of different worlds. The world of the yeshiva, the world of Hasidus, the world of America, the world of Europe, the world of, uh, the, world of the Aguda, the world of Tzedakah, of Chesed. So he was a tremendous person. So in one, of these, in one of these obituaries that I read, so it says a very interesting story about the Rebbe, and I think if we would be able to take this Yisait from the Rebbe's life, it's hard to take all that I just said and, and really try to emulate him because I just said a mouthful, but there's one Yisait that really, of all the things that I read about the Rebbe, really made a profound impression on me. And that is that he used to have um, a, something that he would say all the time. He used to have, you know, a lot of G'daylam have a mantra, like they have a huaya aimer vart, that he would always, this was something that I lived by. This is not something that I'm just espousing. This is something that I'm breathing. This is something that I'm walking, I'm talking. This is my vart in life. This is, it could be a chazal, it could be a pasig, it could be a word. But a lot of G'daylam you could associate with one, with one thing. He used to constantly, his constant refrain was the following line, and the line was from a Magid Mishnah, and the Magid Mishnah was at the end, the very last Magid Mishnah in Hilchas Lulav. After the Shmuz, I would advise everybody to, or you can get it now like Mayer's doing, you, everyone should go and, uh, and get this Magid Mishnah off the shelf and look at it. You can learn it by yourself, and it's something maybe if you're into underlining things, or highlighting things, it's something that's very highlightable. It's something that I never saw, and I didn't know that it was even a famous uh, quote. But this is what he quotes, that's the last Magad Mishnah in Hilchas Lulav, and in Hilchas Lulav, you know, we always say that this Rambam, about how important it is to have simcha when you're doing a mitzvah, that's the go-to Rambam at the end of Hilchas Lulav, and whatever the Magad Mishnah is talking about, we're going to really skip because it's not really what I want to take from this Magad Mishnah, although it's a beautiful Magad Mishnah in its entirety. But he says one line, and this was the line that the Navaminska Rebbe lived, breathed, ate, and slept. And he would say it all the time. The Yivchar Be'emes Mitzad Shehu Emes. What does that mean? It means that a person is supposed to choose in his own Hanhaga Sachayim, in his own life, he's supposed to choose Emes. Why? Why should you choose Emes? If I have a choice between doing something the proper way, the truthful way, or doing it with a little bit of shtick, with a little bit of 
gray area stuff or cutting corners or doing something there. Why would I choose one over the other? So, you know, a lot of people would have a lot of reasons. I, I feel guilty if I do things the wrong way. I feel that it, it might cause a chil Hashem. I feel I might get caught. I might get thrown in, uh, in jail for this. I might, be, uh, I might not get a good shidduch if somebody catches me being dishonest. There's a lot of different rationales why a person should choose emes over sheker. The Magen Mishnah says so beautifully, V'yivchar be'emes, you should choose truth. Why? Mitzad shehu emes. No other reasons, no ulterior motives to choose truth other than the fact that it's the truth. Truth has to stand merely and only and solely on the fact that this is the right thing. I do things the right way, you know why? Not because of this and that and the other thing. I do it the right way because this is the truth. His seal, his temple, the way he signs his documents, the way he, he, he conducts his world is with absolute truth. I conduct my affairs with truth just because it's true. Just because that is what truth is all about. It's not for other reasons. And this was something that the Rebbe lived. The Rebbe very often he'd have opportunities in the Agoda to do some government program that was a little bit gray, it was not 100%, but they might stand to make millions of dollars if they would do it a little bit this way instead of a little bit the right way. And they asked him, they put it to the Minsk Rebbe, should we do it? Like, you know, we, we stand to make a grant of, let's say, know, $10 million if we say this or that, and it's not completely dishonest, but it's not perfectly honest. No, Minsk said, absolutely not. He was like allergic to Sheker. He had like an allergic reaction to anything closely resembling shtick or cutting corners or being even slightly dishonest or unethical or, uh, or, or, or not exactly 100% financially prudent or, 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 or financially responsible. And listen to this story. It's a Gavaldiga story. I mean, I think I sort of gave the punchline away already, but I love the story. There was uh, Navminsky Rebbe, besides having a huge yeshiva in Borough Park, if you ever go to Borough Park, uh, you might notice, I don't know exactly, it's like 60th and uh, something, I don't know, not 17th maybe, there's like a huge building, beautiful, brand new looking building, that, and it says on it, Yeshivas Navminsk. It's one of the major yeshivas in New York. It's a Hasidic yeshiva, but they learn with lumdus, and, and they, you know, they, they, they sort of are, it's like, it's like the embodiment of what the Navaminsk Rebbe was himself. He wanted the Hasidish Atam and the Varmkite, the warmth of Hasidus, plus the rigorous studies of a, of a Lamdan. And he, in fact, I read in one of the stories, he once had Hanah, he walked through on Shabbos morning, he was walking through his base Medrash, and he saw two Hasidish Bachrim, two Talmidim in the Yeshiva, and they had obviously just come from the mikvah, as Hasidim do every day, and on Shabbos also. And their hair, their, their pace were like dripping wet still from the mikvah. It was early in the morning. They went to the mikvah and they went to Davin. And they were learning together a birka shmuel. They were learning a baruch beres tayrit together, these two chasidah shabachim, which is, you know, the world of chasidahs, the world of y- the yeshiva, 
amalgamated into one, incorporated into one, and the, the Rebbe like had such anah seeing that, because that was what the Rebbe was. The Rebbe was, was really himself an embodiment of America and Europe and Lamdus and Hasidus and, and, and Shtadlanus and Aguda and, and, and everything. He was really Libay Levav Kalaam. He was, he was able to capture all facets of Klal Yisrael. Anyway, so he had a big yeshiva, a very popular yeshiva in Borough Park, which is where he lived. He also had a camp in the summer where the boys would, the Talmudim would go and learn. So I actually, when I was in Long Beach, I, I shared a camp. Before they got their own camp, I sh- we went to a camp called Camp Harim. My father, Olav Shalom, visited it once, and the, the, it was like decrepit then. That was 30 years ago. Probably, and they're still using that same camp. It should have been shut down by the Board of Health like 35 years ago. And so my father renamed it from Camp Harim. He called it Camp Horrible. But um, but it was uh, anyway. But we were we we shared. We had one base medrash there. Taratamima, a different yeshiva, had a different base medrash there. It was a huge camp, um, and then and Novominsk was there also. But since then, Novominsk moved to a different camp. Okay, so the manal of the camp, who happened to also be the manal of the yeshiva during the year, his his name was uh, or his name is um, Reb David Kresh. Reb David Kresh. So he was the manal of Novominsk in the winter, and then in the summer he was the manal of this camp. So one time he was, the boys were about to go on a trip, and I'm sure every one of us that have been in camp knows this speech by art. So he gets up, Novominsk Rebbe was sitting right next to him at the front table in the, in the dining room, wherever it was, and he was giving them like a pep talk about, okay, you're going to be going now, on a trip, wherever it was that they were going to, and it's very important to make a Kiddush Hashem. You have to you're going, there's going to be Goyim all around, and you're going to be going in the park, and there's going to be people seeing you, you have to eat like a mensch, can't run around, you can't scream, you can't talk too loud, you can't uh, uh, put your head out of the window of the bus, you got to be very polite, you have to say thank you to the bus driver, you know the whole, the whole spiel that we always got in yeshivas and in camps before we went on a trip. And then he said, guys, have a great time. He sits down. And the boys were about to disperse and run to the bus, and the Navminsker Rebbe comes, and he gets up. He was sitting right next to him. He gets up, and he says, I would like to, with asking personal apologies to the Manal, I would like to argue with something that he said. I would like to disagree with something that he said. And this is, David Kresh himself was interviewed for this article, so he said to the, to the, to the journalist who wrote this article, you know, I, I didn't know what I said wrong. I was like scared. I didn't know what, 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 what was so trafe about what I said. What could I have said wrong there? thought this was something that's normal that every Manal says, you know, or every teacher, every Rebbe says this before kids go out or go home for Ben Azmanim. This is a standard, uh, standard fare from, for, for Machanchim to give the same drasha. What did I say wrong? So he said, Navminsk Rebbe says, I, I wish to beg Mechila from the Manal, but he said something that I feel is wrong. He says, the reason why you should be doing the right thing when you go away, when you're going to go out there, you're not going to put your head out the window of the bus, and you're not going to scream, and you're not going to shout, and you're going to act like a bentire, you're going to behave like a bentire, is not because you're supposed to make a Kiddush Hashem. That's not the reason. 
He says, V'yivchar b'tayv mitzad shu tayv. V'yivchar be'emes mitzad shu emes. You have to choose the emes. You have to choose the right thing to do. You know why? Just because it's the right thing to do. No other reason. You have to, you have to, you know why you have to behave when you go out? You know why you're supposed to say thank you to the bus driver when you get off the, the bus? Not because, oh, it's a Kiddush Hashem, it's gonna, I'm going to get schar, I'm going to, you know, he's going to think well of Bnei Taira, it's going to be good for us in the future. No, that's not the reason why you should say thank you to the bus driver. You're supposed to say thank you to the bus driver because it's the right thing to do to say thank you to the bus driver. You're supposed to hold the door open when you're going into a post office and there's an old man or old woman that's, a, that's three feet behind you, don't let the door slam on her, his or her face. Not because it's going to be a chil Hashem if, that, if you do that, but because you hold the door open for somebody because it's the emes. This is the right thing to do. The yivchar be'emes mitzad shahu emes. That's why you're supposed to be, not scream in a, in a public area and behave yourself and be a bentire, be a mensch, eat like a mensch, act like a mensch, talk like a mensch, walk like a mensch, dress like a mensch, because it's, it's, it's mensch, mensch it is emes, and you're supposed to be an emes to yid, you're supposed to choose the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Agav says the Novimensk Rebbe at the end, he says, it will of course make a, a Kiddush Hashem, but that's, that's collateral to the right thing to do. That's what's going to accrue as a result of you doing the MS. It will inevitably breed good, good, good feelings uh, amongst everyone that sees us, amongst Klai Yisrael. Really, the, the din, by the way, of Benikdashti is Beseich Bnei Yisrael. It's not for the Gayim as much as for Yidin. I'd rather make sure that Yidin know that Bnei Taira are Erloch and honest and fine than, than Gayim. Gayim also should know that. But the mitzvah of Nikdashti is Besaikh Bene Yisrael. It's really a it's it's really a call to arms um, and call to action that we have to be menschlich to other to and do the right thing because Yidin should learn from should learn that Hakarishbarhu is holy from us. And Agab we should be in Arlagayim also. But the core of doing things right, the core of doing things truthfully, is this Magad Mishnah. The Magen Mishnah that says, V'yivchar be'emes, mitzad emes. You choose emes just because it's the right thing to do. That's all. Forget about all the other reasons. Those are secondary reasons. Those are collateral reasons. But the main reason, if somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, why am I supposed to be a mensch? Why am I supposed to do the right thing? Why am I supposed to uh, always be honest and, and have integrity? You know why? Because it's the right thing to do. That's all. It's no fancy mitzvah, it's no fancy uh, musr, it's no fancy uh, guilt or, 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 or fear. It's just because it's the right thing to do. That's why we are expected to what? To be v'yivchar b'tayv, v'yivchar b'emes, mitzad shu emes. There's another beautiful story, and I love this story because I related to it very much, and I'll tell you why soon. There was, on Hanukkah, a Masiba in the Novominsk Rebbe's house. And the Novominsk Rebbe invited, his, invited all of his Talmudim to come to his house in Borough Park, his apartment there. And, you know, they were singing, and there was, uh, you know, it was Hanukkah, and there was Latkes, and then the Rebetzin, his wife, 
comes and brings out a whole platter of freshly baked donuts. Sofganiyot. For Hanukkah. Beautiful. And they're being handed around the table, and of course all the bachrim are, you know, grabbing one, grabbing one. The grab was took one also. And Naminska picks it up, and he made a barman in Mazinus, and he starts biting into a sofganiyah. And this same Manal, this Rabbi Kresh, who we just made famous, in our world at least, he looks at the Rebbe in a funny way. He looks at the Rebbe funny because it's sort of an anomaly, if you maybe that's not the right word, but it's, it's strange to see the Navminska Rebbe eating a Sufganiyah. I know Yeshiva Bachim eats Sufganiyah, but imagine uh, seeing, uh, you know, seeing Reb Kiveger, you know, bite into a donut. It would look funny, right? It would look like something that's, that's a little, it's a little off. We don't picture Kivager like, you know, what did he eat? Probably ate matzahs and water all day. That's how we picture it. And Novinsk Rabbi is the rabbi, he was a Rosh Yisrael, and here he's biting into a Sufganiyah as if it's like a normal thing. Like, that's a, something that kids do. Yeshiva Bacher does, but a, a, maybe a rabbi does it, but a, a Rashiva, a Gain, a Tzadik, a, a Manigadar, it's very, you know, it's a little, it's a little funny to see it. And, and this Menal gave him like a look, and the Novinsk Rabbi chapped what he was saying with that weird look that he gave him. Anyway, the Masiba went on, and a it, 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 beautiful night that they had, and then at the end of the Masiba, uh, Naminska said, I'd like to, to say to the Manal, I'd like to speak to you privately in my study. And again, I guess the Manal started breaking a sweat again, and like said, I now what did I do wrong? Normally the Manal is supposed to make the Talmidim sweat, but this was different. Here the Manal was constantly made, was being called into the Rashiva's office, so I guess... You know, there's good midah, connected midah there. And um, so Namitzka said like this. He says, I noticed, I noticed that when you saw me eating um, my donut, you looked at me like it wasn't appropriate. It doesn't pass for me to eat the donut. He said, I want you to know something. He said, I, the Navminsko was a, Rebbe was a big yachsen. He had a tremendous yichas going to the Kotzker and to many, many gedolim uh, he stammed from, he came from. He says, my great-great-grandfather was a great, was a very famous Hasidic personality by the name of Mordechai of Lechavitz, if I'm pronouncing it right. So, Mordechai of Lechavitz used to say as follows. He would say the following part. He said, if someone doesn't eat in a public setting something that he would eat at his home when no one is looking, he is like an Eved Avedezara. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's say the Navminskreba would not eat the donut in front of the Talmudim, but... When, when the Talmidim disperses, he's eating the donut in the privacy of his own home, when it's just him and his Rebetzin. You better believe he's eating the donut. So if you're not going to eat something Barabim, because it doesn't pass Barabim, it doesn't, it's not appropriate, it doesn't seem, it's not seemly in, in a public setting for me to do something, but I would do it privately, you're a faker. You're an Eved Avedezar, you're bound down to idols. Who are you bound down to? You're bowing down, basically, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Even if I desire is hypocrisy. There's a Rabbi Nisham in the world, you're bowing down to, an, uh, to, a piece of, to a piece of lead, piece of wood. 
It's a chutzpah, it's hypocrisy. That's what it is when a person will not do something barabim, but yet he does it privately. V'yivchar be'emes mitzatshu emes. You have to always do the right thing. You have to be through and through truthful. If you're, if you're going to do it in public, if you're going to do it in private, rather, you've got to be able and willing to do it in public. And if you're not going to do it, in, if you're not doing it in private, then you shouldn't do it in public. But if you're doing it privately, then why would you not do it in public? Because you're trying to impress people? You're lying to people. It's not emes. There's something wrong with your anhaga. I, I saw a similar mesa once from the Briskarov. The Briskarov was once uh, on Yom Kippur. He was, uh, you know, he wasn't a healthy man ever. He actually was Nifter and Arab Yom Kippur, but it was, obviously it was a different year. But he was always, he was always sick, the Briskarov. And a lot of times he went to Switzerland. You see a lot of pictures of the Briskarov and, you know, taking walks in Switzerland because he needed, he needed the fresh, healthy air that, that you know, in, in, in the Swiss Alps and whatnot. So he was in Eretz Yisrael, and he told somebody that, I guess maybe let's say by the break on, uh, in, in, you know, in Yeshiva, in the base Medrash, that he davened in, on Yom Kippur, he says, I want to take a walk now on Yom Kippur to get some fresh air. So somebody asked the Briskarov, you think it's appropriate like, to take a walk on Yom Kippur? He wasn't saying it to be critical, but he was just maybe pointing out that it might not look right. So Briskarov said that if some, something that I would not do on Yom Kippur, I wouldn't do the whole year. Meaning, if it's wrong for me to do this now, I shouldn't be doing it ever. And if it's something that I do throughout the year, then I can do it on Yom Kippur as well. There's no difference between Yom Kippur and, and the rest of the year. I'm a Yid, there's a Rabbi Hashem in the world. If it's, if it's wrong to do Yom Kippur, if it's wrong for me on Yom Kippur to take a walk, then I should never be taking a walk. Elamai, it's okay. I, I'm asking for myself that it's okay for me to take a walk in the streets during the year. So if it's okay for me to take a walk in, in the streets during the year, I should be able to do it on Yom Kippur also. A person has to iron out these differences that we all have. Because we, I, th- I don't say all, but I think we all sometimes find ourselves doing things differently when we are Barabim than when we are alone. Barabim we act in a certain way. We try to, you know, daven, we shuckle, you know, with kavana, and we put on the show if it's a show, or we do it, we do things the right way. When we learn, we learn with us, mother, and whatever. And then, sometimes when we're alone, maybe it's been asmanim, or maybe it's during quarantine, for a seven-week quarantine, we find ourselves slipping, we find ourselves doing things that we would not be doing in yeshiva, looking at things that we might not be looking at in yeshiva, listening to things that we would not be listening to in yeshiva, spending our time in ways that we not... And that's... It's, it's human. And I think we, we all, if we're honest to ourselves, we would find... We would say, yeah, I'm not the same person that I am at home as I am in yeshiva. I change. And that's human. That's, that's inevitable. But it's something that, if we're really people that are emistic of people, which we're striving for truth, as Rav Dessler might say, we're... We're always looking to get more emistic. This is something that I think is a great legacy of the Novominsky Reb, and it's so, such a good time to work on it, because, look, we're home, and we have to try to work on ourselves. Like, the way that I dress in yeshiva, or when I go to shul, do I do that at home? Like, let's say 
let's say when I'm, and I find this for myself also, like let's say I would never daven at home, in yeshiva or in a shul, without wearing a jacket and without wearing a hat. And then like at home, no one's looking except for the Rebendishai. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm alone in my office, I'm alone in my room, and I'm a little lazy, I don't want to get my hat or whatever, so I don't daven with a hat. So that's something that, is off. There's something that's off with my Midas Emes, because if you're really a true, genuine Yid, then you should be davening consistently wherever you are the same way. You should be davening a Shemana that's as long, if not longer, when you're home alone than, and you have that opportunity to daven like a mensch at home more than you would in, in Yeshiva. But sometimes we cut corners, we do a very quick davening and, and you know but in yeshiva I would never do such a quick daven because I want to be seen as a as a certain type of person as a certain you know elite type of bentaira that davens a very long shmanesu but privately not you know Rav Aaron Shechter my Rashiva is all and he um, he daven, he's known to daven a very long shmanesu and of course in Chaim Berlin they wait for him and I found that it was very frustrating when I was in Chaim Berlin because it's such a long wait. Like if you're daven, if you daven like a regular shmanesre, whatever it is, a five seven minute shmanesre, like I think we normally daven, and then you have to wait eighteen minutes. Those minutes, it's you know, it's it's a little frustrating. If you ever go like to certain places and they they're davening a longer daven, it's like a little bit. You want to move already, you know. You got you want to get you have like that shtibol feeling, you know. I mean, there there are minyanim that are matzah minyanim that the whole the whole the whole minyan from beginning to end is eighteen minutes. So, you know, to wait 18 minutes until Chazar Sashat was, I found a little bit, you know, sometimes, it was, but I was, it was great. I was able to do Dafyaymi, I, I was Mavir Sedra, I was, I was able to accomplish a lot of my learning during those 18 minutes or, you know, 11 minutes that I was waiting. But one time I was in Camp Maris and I went to speak to Marashiva and he was in his uh, bungalow. And the door, the screen door was closed, but you could look in. The front door was 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 open, and um, and I was waiting outside the bungalow. He was davening mincha b'yechidus for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't remember why. And I I was just I was standing there and waiting, and it was literally a half an hour shmana essay that he was doing. I mean, you would expect, you know, when he's doing it privately, he doesn't have to. He's not expected to conform with his own with his own Hanhagas. He could do it quicker or whatever, and no one's looking. He did it longer. The Yivchav Emes Mitzat Shemes, if you're going to daven, meaning the 18 minutes in Yeshiva is probably a bediyevit for him. When you do something privately, if you're a sincere person, and it's something we all have to work on, again, I'm not preaching to anybody but myself here, we have to really work on being consistent and being truthful to ourselves. And doing the right thing because merely it's the right thing to do and not for any other reason. I remember I once heard a, a cute story about a, a yid, two yidin were standing online at the DMV, at the Department of Motor Vehicles. That's also very painful. And, uh, you know, because the lines are endless there. At the, you know, whatever you need to do there, it's like, you know, you dread going there because it's endless, endless lines and waiting and, and calling your number and stuff. So um, what happened was that, um, what happened was that, I see somebody put on the chat, Broyers. I, I should have correctly just said in the, uh, in, in, um, 
in, in, in my descri- describing about the Novinsk Rebbe, that he was a Rebbe in, in, in Chicago. He was actually very, very close with our Rebbe Salavechik from Yeshiva from those years that he spent in Chicago, and he was there because he married a Rebbe from Chicago. Uh, the Zidich of Rebbe of Eichenstein is, uh, was his father-in-law, and he spent a good number of years teaching in, I believe it was in Skokie, and then uh, after that, he came to back to New York, and he was Rashiva and Breuer's, which is, I think, also not coincidental because Breuer's really, when you think of Breuer's and and Kaladas Yishurin and Yekis, you know what you should be thinking of is Glat Yosher, not just Glat Kosher, not just Glat Kosher, but Glat Yosher. Yosher person should they always advocate, you know, being very scrupulously honest in business and being truthful. And that's the Novinsky Rebbe, even though he's a Hasidic Rebbe teaching in a, being Rashiva of a very Yekishi Yeshiva, the Yekishi crown flagship Yeshiva in America, it was, uh, it was, you'd think it was a funny Shidduch, but it was really a great Shidduch because him and Rebroyer were kindred spirits. And this is not my lush, this is an interview that I heard the Novinsky Rebbe um, give about his, uh, his close relationship with Rebroyer who had a 40th yard site uh, last week, and they pre-recorded this video from the Novominsk Rebbe like a few days before he was nifter. It's a fascinating video. If anyone wants to see it, uh, contact me after the shmooz, and I'll forward it to you. But um, this is something that uh, he really... Breuer, and then after Breuer's, did he go on and become... Uh, and also I forgot to say that he was a Talmud of Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner molded him to be this Rebbe, didn't come from, from on his own. It, he, he was molded by Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner had Talmidim that he molded to be Rosh Hashivas. He had Talmidim that he molded to be Rebbes. Talmidim that he molded to be Kirov pioneers. Talmidim that he molded to be Mechanchem, or businessmen, or Taim Chaytaira, or Balabatim Chashuvim. But every Talmud, Rav Hutner figured out what, he, what his potential was, and he molded him to be that. But that's going back into the Shmuz a little bit. But anyway, there are two Yidin that were standing on the uh, line of the Department of Motor Vehicle, and one Yid says to the other, he confided in him, he says, I see that you're supposed to say uh, what year you were born on, uh, you know, when you come up to the front desk, they're going to ask you what year you were born in order to process whatever license you needed to be processed. So he says, so what, what's the problem? Why are you, why are you breaking out in a, in a cold sweat? He says, because I don't know what to say. He says, if I tell him that I'm 59, I'm not going to be eligible for senior citizens' benefits. If I tell him that I'm 61, then I'm going to be, they're going to retire me at work. I don't know what to do. You know, what what should I do? He says, well, how old are you? He says, I'm 60. So the guy says, so why don't you just tell him the truth? Just tell him that you're 60. He says, you know, it never occurred to me to say that. A person like you know, you think about everything else but the but the yashristika answer. Why don't you just tell the truth? And what do you have to always like figure out? This happens in business. You know, it happens when you're filing your income taxes every year. You have to figure out the best way to give the least amount of money. It it happens if you're in business, if you're working or whatever, and it happens in yeshiva all the time, right? You have to you know whether it's whether you're applying for. Uh, for, for scholarships or for grants, or you're trying to, you know, figure out the best way to graduate the quickest that you can, you have to, you know, do prerequisites but after you did other courses and this and that and, you know, go like this in order to, in order to, in order, but it's not honest, sometimes it's not honest.
a lot of times we find ourselves, um, you know, with, with ethical uh, issues about, about, you know, we have a Messiah, we have tests from old years, and, you know, should we use them, shouldn't we use them, and I'm not telling you what I did when I was your age, but uh, I'm not saying one way or another, but, but you know, we have these, 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 these questions come up all the time. And, you know, and people come to me all the time, am I allowed to use it? I have a Messiah, can I use it or not? Can I use it or not? And I, if you want to know what I tell people, I guess I could tell you, I mean, because I, I, I went to the dean, and I asked him, like, let's say a teacher, this is just Agav, it's just a footnote to the Shmuz, if a teacher gives back papers, let's say, you know, some teachers are very mocked, they will never give back a test paper. Some teachers are not mocked, but they give them back, you can keep them. So am I allowed to look at a paper that was given back by the teacher from, you know, from 2016? We have a folder somewhere in Yeshiva, and some, you know, some in, in a basement somewhere in the Opal probably, and, you know, some deep, dark, uh, cavernous uh, room, and there's somebody that's giving out uh, tests and, you know, for the right amount of money, and, uh, you know, am I allowed to use it? I, I would say yes, because if the teacher, you know, didn't want you to use it, then, you know, he would not give it back. If he's giving it back, and he's too lazy to type up a new test, that's his problem. Would everybody agree with that? Yeah. So, um, so I asked the dean, he says, you're 100% right. And I, that's, that's definitely, that's not Shekhar. I'm, it's just a study guide. When you study for the regents or from the, for the MCATs, you're studying from old, from old tests, right? You're looking at the, at the June uh, 2019 test and June 2018 test and whatever, and, uh, you know, and, and is that wrong? A lot of questions might repeat itself. No, that's not wrong. That's fine. The problem is that when teachers do not give back the tests and they're very mocked that everybody hand them in and not and not ever see them again because they want to reuse them, and then you, somebody snuck it out or took a picture or whatever, made a photocopy quickly, that's not ethical. It's not ethical. And these are ethical quandaries that we have, and, you know, it's not fair. Other people do have it. Why should Lama Nigara? Why should I suffer? I don't know what to say about those issues, and they're, they're very real issues, but all I could say is I, I know what the Nova Minsk Rebbe would say. You have to always choose the right path, not because you might get caught, and not because you want to really study and know it so that you know it later in life. No. Just simply because this is the right thing to do. There is a, there is a subjective honesty, and then there is an objective honesty. Don't let honesty be subjective. Honesty should be intrinsically a core value that we have, and that it's Yehar Valyavar, to borrow a Kiddush Hashem term, to, to, to sway and to swerve off of that course of Yashris. And it's very, very difficult in life because it costs money sometimes when you have to be too honest. And, it, and, it, and sometimes you're not so popular if you're honest. And sometimes you have to give up uh, a lot of benefits because you're being too honest. And that hurts, and that, and, that, and that stings, and it's not easy. But the words of the Magad Mishnah should always be ringing in our ear. The Navaminska Rebbe right now is whispering in all of our ears what he told 
from podiums and from classrooms and from offices throughout his long and productive life, which he gave over to Klal Yisrael, and that is the Yivchar Be'emes Mitzatshu Emes. Choose the right thing to do in life simply because it's the right thing to do. If you do that, your life will be an Erlocha life of Kedusha, Kedushim to you. How do I be holy? The Medrash asks, I'm, I'm going to compare myself to the Rabbani Shalom? I'm holy, so you should be holy. Duh, you're God. I'm, I'm a human being. I'm frail. I'm, I'm mortal. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a offer of the eifer. I'm a boss of a dom. I have a yitzahara. How do you compare me to you? How do you expect me to be kedushim to you? And the answer is, it's difficult. But this magid mishnah is, I think, the first prerequisite to the parsha of Kedoshim, to the parsha of next week of Kedush Hashem, how? How do, I, how do I make a constant Kedush Hashem? You know how? Do the right thing. Doing the right thing because it's the right thing will always produce a Kedush Hashem and never a Chil Hashem. You're holding the door for people because it's the right thing to do. You're saying good morning to the security guard when you come into the building, good night when you leave the building, not because, ooh, I get, you know, now he thinks Jews are good people, he's not going to hurt us, because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the right thing to do. There's an intrinsic value to truth. Even without any bonuses, without any prizes, without any trophies, without any uh, safra cards, to do the right thing just merely because it's the right thing to do. Without any carrots, no sticks, just because it's the right thing to do. That's how you attain Kedusha. The Rabbi Shalom is pure emes. There's no sheker by the Rabbi Shalom. And if you're, and if our sheker is even a little bit, it's not Emmas. There's a famous Piskam, I don't know exactly who they attribute it to, but 99% Emmas equals 100% Sheker. I'm, 90, I, I, I'm most, for the most part, I, I said the truth, but I, I just fudged this little, that's 100% Sheker. You have to be truthful because it's the right thing to do, and it's a hard thing. I'm not saying that I have perfect this, I have not. I have not, unfortunately. But it's something that we really could work on, and I think we could work on it now, maybe more than we, we can when in yeshiva. Look at yourself. Test yourself now. See if you're as, an, as good a person, as nice a person when you go home. As when, it's, not, it's not hard to be nice to your abeim and to be respectful and to speak to them in third person and to, to bring them coffee and, and, and uh, donuts and to be able to you know, carry their svarim for them or whatever. Now you go home. Are you like that with your parents? It's easy to be in yeshiva with a chevra and a gishmaka guy. Are you like that with your siblings at home? It's easy to daven gishmaka, long shmane essay, with shuckling, with screaming, with shema Yisrael, with a howl, with nigunim or whatever when you're in yeshiva. At home, how do we daven? How does our howl look? How does our Shabbos daven look? How does our Muslim look? How does our daily, uh, how do we dress? How do we dress every day? How do we behave? What are we saying? How do the word... And it's hard because we, we slip. We know that we slip. In the summer, you know, when El comes around, we're all like Mamish Bench and Gaimo that we're able to get through the summer and we're, we're still Jewish. You know, everybody tells me that. When they come back to each other, I say, how was your summer? Everybody, Kulam Ke'echa, they all say the same Bart, that it's good, Rebbe, to be back in Yeshiva. I know what that means because I also feel that. We need the structure of Yeshiva. Zoom is a great thing, but it ain't yeshiva. It's not 
we don't have the same structure, we don't have the same chavra, we don't have the roommates, we don't have the chavrusas in a normal way, we don't have the shiurim in a regular normal classroom setting. This is a great bidiyeh, but it's not l'chatrila. And we could look inward, we could be a Navaminska, we could be like a Katska. The Katska was so makbid on Emes, he was also allergic. He was that's probably where the Navaminska Rebbe has it in his DNA from the Katska. The Katska was the most Emistic of person. It wasn't easy to be a chassid of the Katska. Other other Rebbes had twenty, a hundred thousand chassid, and the Katska didn't want any of that. He just wanted a few good men that would be honest and would be scrupulous and would be self able to self-analyze oneself, to avoid any hypocrisy, to do things because they're the right thing to do. And that's what the Kutzker was all about, and he was famous for that. And he had so many great quotes from the Kutzker about MS and about living a life for yourself and not for anybody else. Famous uh, quote, um, If I am I from the Kutzker. They made it, I think, into a song. If I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I, and you are not you. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, then I am I, and you are you. I know that's very complicated, but uh, you probably need a flowchart for what I just said. But the side HaDover is, don't live your life for other people. Don't live your life for other people. In Yeshiva, maybe we're living our life a little bit too much, for other people, that people should call us a Talmud Chacham, a Masmid, a Lamdan, an Ayved Hashem, because we're in public. And when we're in private, we don't need to impress. Who's looking at me? I don't need to impress anybody. What do you mean? There's no Rabbi Shalom at home? In this room that we're all in, there's no Rabbi Shalom? I'm living my life for you? Then I'm not I. You're living your life for me, then you're not you. If I'm living my life for me, and you're living your life for you, then we can honestly go after our whole life and say, I was I, and you are you. Choose the emes because it's the emes. Do what you would do in yeshiva and do it better at home because it's the right thing to do, not because of other people, not because of what might come about, good or bad, as a result of your actions, but merely because intrinsically, at the core, emes is the right thing to do. There's a famous Rabbeinu Yaina that Rav Hutner brings a lot in the Sefer. A few words from Rabbeinu Yaina. Ha-emes hi mi-sayde The core of the soul, the core of each and every one of ours, Nishama, is built on a foundation of emes. When we do, th- and we know this, when we do things truthfully, we feel good. It might hurt. It might cost. It might not be easy. But we feel good that we did, we, we, were, we withstood a Nisayan and we were able to look at ourselves in the mirror afterwards and say, I did the right thing. I did the right thing. I did the thing that is the, the Kedoshim Tiu approach to life. I didn't do shtick and I didn't cut corners and I didn't do things dishonestly. I did the right thing. I, I studied for the test. I had the paper. I could have done that, but I did it the right way. When you do that, you feel good because the Nefesh starts like pumping fresh blood to the whole body, as it were, because you did the right thing, and the, and the nefesh needs that emes. When you do sheker, in the short term you feel, ah, I got away with it, but the nefesh, 
the nefesh is like squirming and wincing and, and gasping for breath, for oxygen, because you're suffocating it by not doing the right thing. It needs emes. Just like the heart needs blood, the neshama needs emes. And when we don't give it the emes that it needs, we don't feel good about ourselves. We feel like we're dying inside, and we are. I think if we could take that yisaid from the Novomin Skarebbe's life, one yisaid, we don't have to take a million things, we can't. He was a gainadir, he was a, a gadol, a manigadar. How much could we become like him at our age at least? But one thing we could be is we could be emistic like him. It's hard, it's challenging, it's, it's uh, not always easy at all. But that's the Rabbi charge to us this week of Kedashim to you. And next week, V'nikdashti B'Seich B'nei Yisrael. Not because it's a Kiddush Hashem, quote-unquote, but the Kiddush Hashem is going to come about as a direct result of our single-minded focus on always following the, the road of truth. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We miss you. We love you. Take care. Be well. Shabbos. 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 Shabb